Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of all your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And um, I think we're coming off the first break we've ever had for this podcast. It's been a while. I think we had a break maybe our first year because uh, I remember I was sick once. But yeah, we, we have not done a, lo- a long stretch or even, you know, just a week break for a long time. Yeah, definitely the first break this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm. by, by like definitely I'm sure of that. Um, but yeah, no, we, we just... A lot going on in the world, so we took we took a break, but we're back with a vengeance, and we're back with a very appropriate movie, too. Yeah, you know, actually, I think it was good for us to take a little bit of a break. Uh, I was kind of struggling to find a film for us to do. I didn't want to um, just ignore everything that's going on in the world, um, and we, we generally don't do a topical film. If we do, it's by happenstance. Uh, it just works that well, way. I mean, yeah, it's either by happenstance or I think with like we're we're good on holidays as well. Yeah, like we do Christmas movies. We do we did like Halloween movies. We did for for last year. Right, we did a Valentine's Day movie this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but this this is I think definitely our more uh, our most purposeful uh, topical film. Uh, topical to something that is happening in the world right now, especially in America. Actually, in order of importance, first it's holidays, then it's Star Wars month, then it's this. <laughs> then it's topical things. <laughs> then it's it's news items. Yeah, it's the headlines. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like we really haven't done a coronavirus uh, movie, but we've mentioned the coronavirus right. a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have seen uprisings across America uh, after the death of George Floyd. Um, we have seen... Uh, protests in basically every major city in america uh the world even in the, the world even um and then it went to your your mid-sized cities and even your small cities and even like a one to two person protest in the middle of nowhere in america i think it's past the 700 city mark now something crazy like that in america at least and it should be noted um we're obviously this, this we're two weeks after at this point of recording um from the start of protesting right and i i imagine it would be three weeks before anyone even hears this but like protests are still going on too um the the i kind of i kind of dislike the term like mainstream news but like major big corporate news channels are not covering protests as much um or at all in some cases but like protesting is still going on just as strong right Exactly. Um, we still have, you know, thousands of people in the streets of uh, major uh, cities in America. Um, and, you know, we are seeing this in real time because of Twitter and I guess other social media. I'm only seeing it on Twitter because uh, yeah, I don't use because Facebook. Facebook sucks. Like <laughs> Fashbook. Yeah. <laughs> it's for fuck. I'm going to tweet that right now. It's for fucking boomers. Uh, anyway, <laughs> fuck that website. Um but yeah, so it, this film um, kind of encapsulates almost everything that's happening right now um, mm-hmm. in one way or another. Um, this is a little-known gem from 2003. It's actually a made-for-TV movie. It was uh, made for Showtime Channel, actually. It's called Deacons for Defense. 
Um, it is based on the uh, self-defense group, the African-American self-defense group, Deacons for Defense and Justice, that formed in uh, Bogalusa, Louisiana in 1965 uh, during the uh, Freedom Summer. Um, I randomly found this movie uh, because I've been watching films by the director, Bill Duke. Um, you might know him as Sergeant Mac Elliott from Predator or Cook from Commando. Um, and of course, Nick and I know him as uh, Bolivar Trask from X-Men <laughs> Last Stand. Um, he is just a, um, you know, prolific character actor. Yeah. And, um, he's a fairly prolific director too. Um, or at least like he's fairly prolific behind the camera. He, he, I know he's a producer and he, he's a director, obviously he directed this movie. Um, he directed The Killing Floor. Um, Hoodlum, which you just saw and you really liked, um, Rage in Harlem, Deep Cover, and Sister Act 2. Yeah. So if... Very... Uh, <laughs> man of many talents. He is. It's crazy. So, you know, I've seen Sister Act 2, and I had no idea Bill Duke directed that movie. Um, he, he's directed one or two comedies. Uh, Rage in Harlem is a comedy. He directed um, this one comedy with Danny Aiello. It's called like the cemetery club. It's like his only movie that's about like mostly white people. Um, it's really strange. It's like his third or fourth movie he directed. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he started with PBS, uh, American playhouse, uh, made for TV movies. The, the killing floor is one of them. Um, he did one called the meeting, which is about a fictionalized meeting between MLK and Malcolm X. Uh, and he did a uh, a version of Raising the Sun for uh, PBS Playhouse as mm -hmm. well. These are all in the 80s. Um, and for some reason, no one really talks about his films. It's so funny because, like, I, I, I would say the majority of people know him just as one of the Predator guys or as the guy from Commando. Exactly. Um, or if you're on the nerdier Marvel soy face side like we are, like you know him <laughs> as... As the guy that was eventually replaced by Peter Dinklage in the X-Men series. Right. It, it's 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 crazy um, that it took me until last year to figure out that he was director. Um, I had seen uh, Hoodlum actually right before we did our Gangster Month. And for some reason, I didn't include it in there. Um, I thought it was well-received, but it was not. Um, really, very few of his films have been well-received. Um, we're kind of... Uh, breaking the um the structure of our show here because um there's basically no critical reception of uh, his film deacons for defense uh, <laughs> because it was a um you know it made for tv film that very few people saw um right but you know we, we like to uh review underappreciated films i think that's in like our bio on soundcloud something about underappreciated yeah. films <laughs> yeah i i think sometimes you and me both, we, we kind of take like the Rotten Tomato score a little too far. Like we like we, we hold ourselves to that too much. Um, yeah. Because th this movie technically fulfills our, our basic mission statement. Oh, for sure. It, and not, not even technically, actually. Th this movie does fulfill our basic mission statement. Like we don't have Rotten Tomatoes written in our bio. Like we don't, <laughs> we don't have to live and die by Rotten Tomatoes. Like... I don't know. Um, if you want to sponsor us, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, kiss my ass. Um, but yeah, no, I. Uh, it's good. I think it's good that we're we're doing this. We're we're stepping away from like. For for two guys who who hate 
quantification of like appreciation of art. <laughs> we, we do we do stick to i mean i, I know it's like semi-ironic but we do we do hold ourselves to rotten tomatoes a little too closely i think yeah, I agree. Because if we hold ourselves to Rotten Tomatoes, there's uh, no critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. There is an audience score of like 91, and it's based on like three reviews. So, I mean, right. we can't hold ourselves to that standard for this film. Right. Um, it really just has to be, this is a underappreciated, undervalued film um, that, uh, you know, it's just fucking good. It's just good, folks. Yeah. Um, I will say this is the only time I'll... I'll dip into twitter drama um this is the anti-movie bob movie um yes, this movie. <laughs> it is very true like oh fuck the south it's all a bunch of like worthless de- like worthless degenerate maga people and they all deserve to burn and it just that's objectively false right yeah it's as if he if he watched this film he would only like notice the kkk members and he wouldn't even notice the deacons who are the main characters in this movie yeah, his position would be like they should all move to New Orleans. Like that's that's the answer. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, he's a moron. And obviously we're not um we're not above Twitter drama. We talk about Movie Bob all the time. <laughs> <laughs> if Movie Bob did not exist, ProCon would have to create him. <laughs> maybe we did. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, At this point. Does he really um, exist, folks? I can, I can confirm next time I visit Massachusetts. Hell yeah. Um but yeah, this movie has a pretty great cast. Um, it stars uh, Forrest Whitaker um, and all all of the characters. I I think for the most part, except for like a few bigger names, they're all fictional people. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a judge that I'm. Who knows? It may or may not have existed. Like Lyndon B. Johnson is, is mentioned at one point. He never actually appears, but like all the people we see are fictional. Yeah, that's um, true. So yeah, Forrest Whitaker as Marcus Clay, um, a character based on Bob Hicks. And was Bob Hicks actually involved with the historical Deacons for Defense? Yeah, he, he was a founding member of the original uh, Deacons for Defense and Justice. Nice. Uh, he actually, one of his shotguns uh, that he used is in the National Museum of African American History and Culture in D.C. right now. That rocks. Yeah. That rocks. Um, some enterprising protesters should redacted that and use it to redact um redacted (laughs) (laughs) uh of the cast are ossie davis as reverend gregory uh christopher Britton as william chase jonathan silverman as michael dean tyrone benskin as archie paul benjamin as otis melanie nichols king as rose clay adam wiener as charles hillebrand Gene Mack as TJ. I'm going to butcher this. Mfo Kao. Mfo Koaho as Bailey. Uh, Rufus Crawford as Deacon. And Brian Paul as Holden. Yeah, it's an incredible cast. Um, Forrest Whitaker had worked with uh, Bill Duke previously uh, uh, in the film uh, Rage in Harlem. Um Paul Benjamin had worked with Bill Duke previously in the film Hoodlum, and he had just been in a ton of black exploitation films like Across 110th Street. Um, we have people like Ozzie Davis, who, you know, I mean, great African American character actor. Um, Jonathan Silverman, who plays one of the white lawyers in this movie, Michael Dean, uh, is from Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like his number one uh, movie. Um, yes. 
He was also in Caddyshack too. I saw. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Umfo Koaho, he is in. Uh, I had first seen him at least in um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which was a, okay. a BBC America uh, two season show. Uh, he's great in uh, that. And, uh, written by written by Procon favorite Max Landis. Yes, I, it's actually the only good thing Max Landis has ever done. Like fuck Max Landis, and I'm Honestly, sure it's good yeah. because of everybody else involved in it. But it was like every time I'd see his name in the credits, I was like, fuck you for making one thing that's good. <laughs> okay, so really quick, Max Max Landis is objectively one of the worst people I, I can even think of. Like like one of the worst like non murderous people I can think of. But um, <laughs> yes. I've I've also heard that his comic book run on Superman, I think it's Superman like Alien Sun or something or Immigrant uh, Sun yeah, or something American like that. American something, yeah. American Sun. Yeah, I, I think, think it's so. American yeah. Sun. Um people some people whose opinions I don't want to say like I respect, but like people who aren't completely stupid like say it's good. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But uh yeah, Umfo Kaho's in uh, I believe he's in both seasons and uh he's great. Uh, he's like a computer nerd, and he gets involved with uh, this uh, this this uh, this hit woman Dirk who Gently. never. Well, he gets involved with Dirk Gently, but he gets involved with like this hit woman who never misses, uh, and she's mm. played by Bl- Brad uh, Dorif's daughter, actually. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's That's it's cool. a really good show. It's well cast. It, like everybody's just amazing in that movie, and he's uh, that show, and he's great as well. Uh, we, we don't have a review for this one. Like I said, it was a Showtime Channel original movie, so right. I literally couldn't find anything. Fuck it. Who cares? We're the, yeah, we are I the mean, review. Who fucking cares yes, about these the, reviews? We're, we're blazing new ground here. <laughs> um, I will say that I guess we could open up with this quote I, I pulled from the Wikipedia page for the Deacons for Defense, which actually did exist. Um, and the article says, on February 21st, 1965, the day of Malcolm X's assassination, the first affiliated chapter of the Deacons of Defense was founded in Bocalusa, Louisiana, followed by a total of 20 other chapters in the state, Mississippi, and Alabama. Damn. So like that 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 lends it like, I don't know, it, it seems very significant. And I, I mean, I'm sure the actual news of his death played played like played a role in some degree. But um, yeah, no, that that's a very momentous state like momentous state i think yeah uh that's 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 interesting and definitely i i I imagine that is uh there's there is some significance there yes i would imagine Uh, and i just watched ali actually for the first time the uh michael mann directed a film about muhammad ali and i did not know that malcolm x played such a big part in that movie i knew he had a big part in muhammad ali's life Mm -hmm. but uh yeah like you see his assassination and everything in the movie like in the first hour or so of that movie he's played by uh mario van peebles yeah you were telling me that 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 yeah that rips that's that's awesome um but yeah the, mo- the movie starts um i think in like the 30s um yeah we, like 1932 yeah we see uh young marcus um marcus is the forest whitaker character he's he's learning to hunt with his dad um in the movie the thing that struck me most about the movie first like it it just starts right off with a bang and it moves like really quick it does. There's a lot yeah. packed into this movie. Yeah, it's it's 95 minutes too. Yeah, it's 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 the perfect runtime, and like it, it could have easily been stretched out to like three hours. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised for a TV movie, it it wouldn't have done that to like take up a whole programming block or whatever. Um, but no, but I mean, I'm not disappointed. I'm just a little surprised. 
Yeah, it could have been like a miniseries, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, there's enough in here. Um, I, and, and there's so much in uh, packed into this 95-minute runtime that I had to write out the whole plot of the movie. Yes. Uh, and I actually watched the movie twice so I could do that because I was like, shit, what happens in this movie? There's way too much that happens in this movie. There's a lot. Um, but it's done well too. Like I'm not even complaining about it. Like it, it's the pacing is incredible. Um, it's just, yeah, it's something about Bill Duke um, and his relationship with his editors and his screenwriters. Like yeah. a lot of his films are like this where there's like a shit ton in, you know, this very truncated uh, span of time. And fuck, that's good. That's like, we don't need these bloated like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to back to our whooping horse like a like a three <laughs> three hour long part one of an Avengers movie like we don't need that we can right. be like like uh, brevity is wit like we Shakespeare knew this shit just like come on it's it's yes. it's, a, it's a it's a it's a, it's a well worn piece of advice but it's not inaccurate no for sure you know and and what I love too about and then we'll get onto the actual plot as opposed to talking about how great. <laughs> uh, the plot is we'll actually talk about the plot here yes. um is you know a lot of movies now like you get scenes that last like if a if they last a minute that's long right yep. but like somehow they cram so much in here and the scenes like they have time to like marinate yes right? yes like, yeah people have conversations or they're just like little moments um but they continue for more than like a minute you know, it's like, it's not just like this clipped pacing. And even within that, there is one of the things that really struck me was like this really good usage of B footage. Yes. Um, a B roll. Like, so we have like a lot packed in and like plot wise, um, scenes d aren't like truncated that they, they, they're allowed room to breathe and, and he lets the camera run for a little bit. And we get like B-roll kind of like used in a clever and creative way that we can expand upon later. And all of it happens in like an hour and a half. It, it's like a magic trick. It, it's it's really, it's like, it's impressive the way like it all comes together. Yeah. Well, I mean, Bill Duke would be an amazing magician's name. That is, that <laughs> yes, that's actually, that is true. <laughs> um, but anyway, the movie, the movie itself. The movie itself. So, so uh, Marcus Clay and his father, are uh, hunting like pheasant or something like that um yep. they the the pheasant gets away and they are in this field uh, and this is a really good shot too like this this wide angle shot of them just you know mm -hmm. in this this field of, of like it looks like wheat or you know reeds and really really quick just before they get to there they're they're kind of wading down like a stream yeah and i mentioned that because it comes back into play later right yes mm -hmm. that is you know, yeah, some important symbolism that we get uh, a few times throughout the film um uh they hear a gunshot and um they just uh they get down immediately um you know prone to the ground and uh they see uh the ku klux klan coming out of a barn uh and uh they go into the barn once the KKK ha has left, and uh, we see an African American man has been lynched by the Klan. Yeah, and uh, well, notably, um, Marcus's father he's like stay out here because he goes inside to check and to see what's up or whatever. And then Marcus, because he's a little kid and he's curious, he's like ten. He's like very young. Yeah. Um, he goes in, and he just stares up, and his face is like horrified. And we see this 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 guy just hanging <laughs> from a noose um 
and then his dad was like, I didn't want you to see this, but now that you saw it, like, never forget it. Like, always remember this moment. Um, and then we get the snap zoom to the hanged guy's face, and he looks up and he opens his eyes. And then snap, like, snap cut to Forrest Whitaker jumping up in bed all sweaty and, like, out of breath because it was, it was his dream that he's obsessing over. Yeah. Because it happened to him. It was very Brian De Palma actually yes yes um, yes with like the, the i don't know what it's called but like you said snap zoom i call them stagger zooms um sure. where it's you know it's like it it does zoom into uh the, the a, a character's face um but it's you know it's it's cuts it's not just like a a steady zoom it's like a few cuts of, of and different shots that eventually zoom into a character and this zooms into the dead man's eye and then his eye opens and I knew I would like this movie like when we saw that zoom on essentially a, a corpse waking up and, and looking at the camera like it's, it's that little bit of like like surrealness and kind of um, just like like not everything is as it seems it, it's it's there's not a lot of it in the movie but it's it's just like a little bit there it it, it, know, it knew when to do that and um, there are other kind of similar creative tricks that they do. Um, that we'll mention throughout that I I thought was just very effective and very cool. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there are um, these, you know, directorial flourishes that Bill Duke uh, uses throughout this film and, and throughout all of his films um, that really, um, you know, put him apart from a lot of directors uh, from the the 90s and the, and the early 2000s. Um, yeah. He's actually still making movies. Uh, he made a film a few years ago about um uh, nuns again uh so you know, <laughs> yeah. some catholicism yeah. stuff going on there with him um about like uh women not being able to be priests or something like that he's only 77 and he that's so he i mean he's old but he's not like super old he's um yeah so he, he's he's still got a few years left to work i think quite a few also apparently he was an american gigolo so yes yeah yeah hell yeah mm-hmm. yeah he Crazy career. I mean, he's he's got a wild, very eclectic. The the definition of eclectic, I would say. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Marcus, uh, played by Forrest Whitaker, uh, wakes up, and uh, he uh, he goes to work. Well, actually, we meet his family. Uh, we meet his wife Rose. We meet his two kids, Lucille and Brooks. Um, mm -hmm. a, a boy and a girl, older oldest daughter, younger uh, son, and his, his father, who we had just seen in this dream sequence, is there as well. Um, he has suffered a stroke. He's older. Uh, only one half of his face moves. Um, and, oh my God, I'm really sad. Just not to, not to keep cutting away from the story, but like when I said American Gigolo, I didn't realize it was the Paul Schrader film. I thought it was Deuce Pigalle. <laughs> 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 okay, actually... I did as well, so it's fine. <laughs> I, thought, I forgot that Paul Schrader film existed for a Yeah, there. it's the Richard Gere. Oh, my God, that's so good. <laughs> Maybe because we've, Basically we were talking movie. about uh, doing one of the Deuce Bigelow films. Well, that's yeah. that's why I mentioned mm -hmm. it. I'm like, oh, we'll be seeing Bill Duke in the future. <laughs> 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 I mean, maybe we will oh, yeah. in a different I, film. Who knows? But no, he, that's right. American Gigolo is the, the Paul Schrader film yeah. with... Um, with uh what's his richard gear richard gear right gear gear gear, gear. uh it's gear, gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah gear my mom was obsessed yeah, with richard gear for forever yeah i think uh, everyone everyone's boomer yeah. parents were and then he said stuff were, about yes. like the iraq war and my mom was like never mind i don't like him anymore <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so we meet marcus's family um 
and notably his daughter she's like a high school senior or something yeah she's a um, teenager yeah she she's really invested in the in the burgeoning civil rights movement at the time and before she walks off to school um marcus forces her to take off the the civil rights pin she was wearing and give it to him and um it's another a lesser director would not have done this especially in a tv movie but like when he takes the pen he holds it in his hand and he grips it and then when she l- walks out the house he looks down and he pull- he he picks up the pin with his other hand the pin had pricked his hand and we see blood on his hand yeah mm-hmm. so like just such a tiny little simple detail but it it given what we know of marcus already in the in the two brief scenes we've already seen him in it it just and, and like the symbolism for the context of the time, it just all fit together very well. No, exactly. It, it's really these these small moments that punctuate the film, um, where Bill Duke makes it his own. Really, I mean, this film could be just in entirely like every other historical drama, you know, that we, we that like HBO makes, right? I mean, HBO cranks out historical drama, made for TV movie stuff, especially about like elections and shit. It could have been like that, where like no one really remembers them, no one really gives a shit about them, but Bill Duke just continuously makes it his own. Another thing I liked about this scene is when we meet uh, Marcus. He he's kind of a dick to his family, um, and I know part of it is like changing changing norms and attitudes just like as to how patriarchal heads of a family um act like in in their own home but um for the first like act of the movie he he's just like a he's just a dick to his wife yeah (laughs) just like he's like domineering to his kids and um in contrast he like falls over himself to take care of his father who whom he obviously idolizes right um and and that's a very like I said, there there is some accounting for like changing norms of the time, but it's but more to the point, it's like his character. No, exactly. I think there's a lot of great characterization for um, really every character in this film. But um, you know, Marcus has Marcus being the main character, he has I, I think the most interesting arc um, of any character in this movie, um, and um, we see a little bit more of that characterization and more of that arc is fleshed out when he goes to work. In the next scene, he goes to the Patterson paper plant, um, where he is just a menial worker. Really, really quick before I, I think I know where you're going about the characters and stuff, but like before he even gets out of his car, we have another great directorial flourish. Um, it's shot in black and white. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The B-roll is in black and white. We get we get a few a few seconds of B-roll, just like men walking to work, men driving their cars, the the factory, the town, whatever. Um, and then when Marcus gets out of his car and he, he walks to the entrance to the factory, it just fades into color. Yeah. And they, they do that a couple times throughout the, throughout the movie. Like I want to say like three or four times. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, and, and I'm sure other movies have to do this just cause like it, it's such an obvious thing. It, it must have been done, but like to do that, to, to place this movie, like this historical fiction, within the context of people's awareness of what the past looked like because in most people's minds the past was black and white right and and like to to literally bring it into color like that it, it's just such a simple but effective like technique and it it really struck me all like all three or four times that they, that they did it no it's it's great um yeah it, it it really is um something that uh i wish more directors knew how to do and more editors like work with uh 
just yeah different different color schemes um you know usually it's pretty hokey but uh i think it, it works really well in this film for the exact reason uh, that you just mentioned there um so yeah, now we meet um, some of uh, his friends, his coworkers, who will uh, go on to become the, the deacons uh, for defense. We meet Archie and TJ, I believe, in this scene. Um, yeah, they're they're both they're all menial workers. Um, they I think they kind of work like in the loading dock. Um, they just like they load paper yeah. onto pallets um, throughout the day. Um, and what's interesting about this scene and the characterization of really all these three characters, but especially Marcus, is um, when we first meet Marcus, he he's just, you know, he's saying hello to all the supervisors who are all white in the plant. Um, he never makes like direct eye contact with any of them, really. Um, but he's he's very uh, deferential to all of them. Um, there's uh, this one like <laughs> very nerdy, like just... Like, can I can I do my impression of him? Yes, yes, please. Failing good since I passed that stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is talking about the the kidney stone he pissed at the night yeah, before. Yeah, this utter fucking Poindexter dork, um, who is you know the supervisor at the plant, and he's like, you never know pain like that. Yeah, it's it's like it's like Forrest Gump's like like nebbish cousin <laughs> <Yeah>. or something. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, and then there's uh, another uh, supervisor, Mr. Conley, who is just like oh my uh, a skinhead, basically. Um, he remind, he had intense um, Victor Zaz energy yes. on Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Especially like when he has like his his the sniper rifle later, like he's basically a glorified hitman. Yeah, when he's when he's basically contracted out to yeah. kill people, he's, he's like. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, this sets up uh, those two characters as well, and it sets up um, the dich- the dichotomy of the like relations between um, the the workers and the supervisors. Because there's Marcus, who's more uh, deferential, but then there's. Archie and TJ, who, um, when Marcus starts, like, bossing them around, like, hey, let's uh, pick up these pallets. Uh, the, the forklift just dropped this stuff over here. Uh, I, I think Archie says to him, like, Marcus, they're not going to pay us, uh, you know, these two minutes before our shift even starts. Like, you're <laughs> not going to get a raise for this. Um, so yeah. there's some antagonism there, even between, uh, you know, the workers and the friends. Um, but then there's obviously the larger antagonism between the workers and the bosses um and it's just it's just economically sets this all up within like a minute and and like the set that they used uh it looked and felt like a real like loading room um and and it was loud and it was like people were doing things like in front of the camera in front of like the framing the field of vision it it felt very like i i've done some jobs where like I, i worked essentially in like loading rooms or like storerooms or back rooms or whatever and it felt fairly real to life which yeah. was which was very unexpected but it added to the the feeling of everything um and on top of that we have all this good characterization kind of just being being figured out um then the forest gump nebbish cousin um makes an announcement and he's like everyone anyone who wants to be considered for a higher paid position i think it's like a truck driver position um uh, a supervisor. can put their name it's a supervisor position right yeah 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 like like you can you can put your name if you want to be considered to be promoted essentially right yeah 
Yeah, and it's only available to the white workers, of course, um, which sets the stage for a scene later on. Um, but right after this is when they're in church for the first time, I believe. Mm, yep, so they go to the, the Baptist church, and um, the reverend, um, after his sermon, or maybe right before his sermon, introduces um, two white lo- lawyers from the North who are part of the uh, Civil Rights League, the National Civil Rights League, um, who um, are replacing two other lawyers who were run out of town um, in the middle yeah. of the night by the Klan. They burned their houses, apparently, and they had closed down the Civil Rights um, office. But these two lawyers, uh, Michael Dean and Charles Hillebrand, are, are there to reopen the office and start protests again, start boycott actions, uh, you know, to start the, the civil rights movement up again here in Bogalusa. Um, they, uh, Michael Dean, the, um, the guy played by Jonathan Silverman, who was in a weekend at Bernie's, he's the one who speaks in the scene and he mentions that, um, they want to use the, the, the children of the parish, uh, in, in protests so that they get attention. Um, so that, you know, if people, if racists uh, start attacking them, they'll get uh, media attention because, uh, I think TJ mentions, um, one of Marcus's coworkers, he's like, you know, uh, people get killed here, uh, black people get killed here in Bogalusa by the Klan and it never gets, uh, even local news. What are you going to do to get us local news or national news? So he says, well, we're going to do what MLK does and, you know, involve student protesters um, in our movement. Yeah, the, um, he's, he's very much spouting. And, and throughout, the, throughout the film, he references, um, he, he, he stresses the nonviolent aspect of, the, of, of his movement. And yeah. he mentions Martin Luther King constantly mm-hmm. and, um, and all that stuff. And Marcus, he just doesn't even want to hear it. So he, before, <laughs> before the, the pitch is even, is even given, he, he just gets up and, and walks outside. Yeah. He, he's like, he goes to Archie. He's, he's like, like I'm going to go take a smoke. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and another thing, and this is the first time we see it, but it's definitely throughout the movie. Um, I loved how sweaty everyone was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, just like prominently, just like sweat pouring off their bodies and their faces. Cause like, that's what it's i I'm, I'm i'm in texas right now that's what it's like in the summer and <laughs> in, in the summer in the south and um it reminded me just like superficially of bill duke in predator because like he, he keeps shaving himself with the little the oh, razor yeah, yeah yeah like that's his character um his little character quirk yes um but more to the point it's 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 very realistic and it it, it made everything feel like it, it felt hot and like oppressive yeah no i mean they do a lot of great um, just a lot of realism throughout the film, be it, you know, something more, um, just a subtler detail like that, or just like the costumes are really great as well. And it just seems yeah. like they really did their research on these period appropriate costumes. Um, and, and, and like you said, even something as simple as what the loading dock looked like, um, or, or the church itself, um, you know, it, yep. it, it, it's, it's a small black church, um, they, they, they get the details, right. Um, you know, just the, their houses that they live in the outside of the mm-hmm. houses. Like it just, yeah, there's a lot of care put into a movie that probably didn't cost very much and call me crazy, but I'm, I'm, I could have sworn I saw like flies buzzing around in a few scenes. Maybe just like, just like bugs in the, in like that made it feel more like a documentary than like, like actual footage than, than a movie. Yeah. And, and like not it's not like a cloud of flies to like <laughs> indicate oh like 
oh there, there this is like a pile of trash over here right. there's like flies buzzing it's just like a fly in like that lands on a wall behind a character as they're talking and then flies away right right yeah 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 no actually i think i know the exact scene you're talking about i can remember that yeah yeah i, yeah, I, I think it's in marcus's yeah, house it's like, i think it's it's a pretty prominent fly even yeah yeah it's just like okay yeah like that would that would happen <laughs> like that, that's real yeah it's it's verisimilitude and it works for sure um um so from here um i think it skips to another day um at the dinner table uh at the at the the clay house and uh lucille uh doesn't come to dinner because she is actually at the civil rights league office um so marcus goes to uh to bring her back before this something happens um i think before this t or maybe you're reading off your your list which is more accurate but i thought i thought tj puts his name down um tj oh you're right yeah yes tj yeah yep yep you're right so so still the next day but that day at work tj puts his name down to be considered for the promotion um despite the the intimidation of of the white supervisor and the other white workers yes that's right yeah no he does that and then lucille goes to a civil rights league meeting right um, where um, most of the student protesters are, are there uh, to discuss uh, upcoming action. Um, of course, the cops break it up, right? At, well, Marcus arrives to, to drag Lucille out. At, at the same moment, the cops come up to, to, to break up the meeting under the pretense that the white lawyers uh, cannot practice law in Louisiana because they're not part of the Louisiana bar. Right, and I mean, it, it's just like, it, it's what cops do to like kind of sk- skirt around issues they don't they don't want to deal with. Like, oh, you're not allowed to, to de- like to practice law in out of state, but they're like, oh, but we're not practicing law. But it's like, oh, well, we don't care. And it's just like it's a pretext to to get them to get them out. Yeah, no, and it's incredible, right? Like, it's just it's a small scene, but it really cuts to the heart of the film, which is that like it does not matter if you are doing things the right way, if you are following rules, if you are following the laws. Um, Because even, you know, Michael Dean, the white lawyer, mentions, like, we're not practicing law, we're just giving legal opinion, which is fine, plus we're a nonprofit organization. And the cop's like, I don't give a shit, I'm still arresting you, I'm, you know, you're going to stay in in the cell overnight, and then we're going to kick you out of town. Um, We we do have a much more blameworthy fail son for this movie, but Michael Dean kind of is the fail son of this movie. Cause yeah. <laughs> like, this is, the, this is the first of many scenes where he, he loudly and accurately protests his treatment, like citing laws and statutes and like to the, to the racist cops who don't give a shit. And, and they truly don't give a shit because it doesn't matter. Cause like, what's he going to do? Like he can say like, Oh, you're, you're in violation. Oh, you're, you're, we're we're not doing anything against the law, and you are infringing on our rights by doing so. And it and he's right, but it doesn't yeah, matter. No, it doesn't fucking matter. They don't give <laughs> a shit. Just... Um, they're they're still gonna beat the shit out of you in the long run. Um, you're still you know the the commie outside agitator. Um, that him and uh the other guy get called a few times throughout the movie. And um, the the cops do drive them to the edge of town, and they explicitly tell them the only reason you're not being beat right now is because you're white and we'll give you this one chance just like get the hell out of here um and don't come back and um we get a nice little characterization scene for what's his buddy's name charles i think yeah charles um because michael turns around right back around immediately and starts walking back to town 
and Charles is like, what are you like? You're crazy. You're crazy that they're going to kill us. And he's like, I want to grow older and have kids and everything. And Michael's like, that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't think you're a coward. I don't think you're bad. Just I'm going back. Um, and after a minute's hesitation, Charles has his, his indecision, but he does go, he does go back too. So that was like, he, he's a nothing character, but that did give him a lot of depth. I thought. Yeah, for sure. I mean, cause otherwise, like you said, yeah, he is really nothing character. He doesn't say or do much. Throughout like that's the it. Film. That, that's his arc right there. The right. <laughs> and, but that's enough to like, you know, justify his presence throughout the rest, I guess, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. so it's something, um, and it, it really there was no need for it, but I don't know. I, I agree. I think it's, it's a good character beat. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the next day. But the same night of the Civil Rights League meeting, uh, TJ, um, because he put his name on the supervisor list, uh, he gets beat up by the actual white supervisors and other like I don't know, just workers. Um, there's the the, the Zaz guy is there. Yeah, the Zaz guy is there. There's the one fat guy, and then there's well, and this is actually where we meet the KKK leader, the the Klan oh leader. Oh my god, yeah. Um, the, the Epstein character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, he has Epstein energy. He's just like, like demonic, like strict school principal kind of, kind of. Yeah. Vibe. He's literally a teacher. They say at one point. Yeah. Yeah. They mentioned that. Yeah. They, the cop says like, you're an educated man. You're a teacher. Of course, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Um, he, he's in the car as, uh, the other workers from the paper plant, uh, beat up TJ with bats um and uh what's interesting is tj actually calls to marcus because he lives on the same street like a house over from marcus he's like marcus help me and we see marcus uh in in the window looking through the blinds and he and and he's obviously torn because on the one hand this is his best friend on the other hand he wants to keep his job um and he he's never probably been put in a position like this before he doesn't know what to do um right and another little detail I liked was that like his the window he's looking out of is like semi broken. Yeah. As if like a stick hit it or maybe maybe a bullet, I don't know, but like or a bullet or a rock or, or a rock. something. Yeah, it's it's really it, it was an interesting little detail there. And it's kind of just visually um an inversion of that classic um Malcolm X imagery of him looking out his window. Right. With a gun and of course I mean to get, to give away my reference later on Marcus does have a gun and, and he they, they get a lot of mileage out of that imagery of, of a of a black man in his home holding a gun yeah. looking out the window. Oh, for sure. Um but to introduce it here, we get the inverse because he he is not helping his friend. He is not standing up for himself and for his his family and his friends. Um just n- nice little kind of flip that happens there. Yeah. Definitely. Um Yeah, so the next day TJ goes to work and you know, he's all beaten up. He looks terrible. Uh, and he, he crosses his name uh, from the list. And um, and the camera, what I liked about the scene is the camera follows him up the stairs because the list is up the stairs on like kind of a landing right in front of the supervisor's office. And, and the camera follows him as he can barely, you know, take it step by step up the stairs. Right. Um, really, right. you know, drives home how badly he was beaten. Um, Bill Duke's just the fucking best director, folks. I don't know what to tell you. He's all. good. <laughs> he's he's good. It, they, they have the like. It, it's a simple set, but they use every aspect of it. They use every element of it um, throughout the movie. And then we get to the actual protests uh, in front of City Hall. Yeah, town town mm-hmm. hall. Yeah. 
Um, right before that, though, uh, Marcus's father dies. Right, his dad dies pretty pretty fairly early on in the movie. Um, and he he just has an, I think he has another stroke or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he says, like I'm scared. I'm or he says scared, scared, as he's dying in bed. And Marcus is like, oh, what, are you, like, Dad, are you scared of dying? And he's like, no, you're scared. You've been scared your life, and don't be scared anymore. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, for Marcus, uh, you know, I think it's a powerful sentiment because fear yeah. has kind of held him back this whole time. Um, but then not for much longer because, as Nick said, there is a, a protest, uh, the, the first yeah. protest of the newly formed Civil Rights League here in Bogalusa. Um, and it does have uh, students. Um, so uh, Umfokao's uh, character Bailey is there. I think he's like related to the Reverend. It's like kind of hinted that he's the Reverend's son. I th- yeah. I, I I don't know. I I forget if that was even really brought up. He he's like the most prominent student other than Marcus's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marcus's daughter's there, and then just other random students who who are who aren't named who really don't do much throughout the rest of the movie. Um, and there's like an older woman too, who's pretty, like like this like ancient like woman who's just protesting with them at one point because like they show her. Later. Oh yeah, yeah. She kind of ends the scene. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is this scene's like a two part scene actually. There's a lot of cross cutting between the protest in front of City Hall and then. Uh, inside City Hall, we meet the mayor, a representative of like the business community, like uh, not not maybe the Chamber of Commerce. I don't know. They don't say specifically, but he is a businessman, some rich asshole. Yeah. Um. The um. Like the the city attorney, and then um. The uh, police chief who we who we've met before. Um, oh, and the the clan dude, the the Epstein teacher. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm not sure he's if he's there. in this scene. He's in a later scene in City Hall. I don't think he's here. Yeah, yet. he he shows up. He he's invited in at some point. Yeah. Um. But uh, so they're 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 specifically protesting um, businesses that are segregated, um, that don't treat uh, black workers or their patrons uh, properly, um, and uh, considering that, like, I think they say at one point, like. A third of a workers third, yeah. uh, in in Bogalusa. A third, a third of the population yeah. is black. A, a third of the population, and then I think even like a, a yeah, I guess maybe more than a third of, of actual workers in in Bogalusa are African American. Um, so they're they're protesting the, the disparity there. Um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. You you know, you get the 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 white people in their nice little meeting where they're basically trying to figure out a legal way to break up the protest um and the attorney even says it doesn't matter like throw he says like throw a rock and he said throw throw a dart you'll find a legal reason to to break up this protest in going back outside to the protest um lawyer phil son lawyer dude is he's 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 in the front lines to his credit he's actually he's taking the beatings like he said he would um and the when the office when the police are sent out to shut the protest down um they just load up with tear gas and they're like disperse or we will disperse you like we don't give a fuck just get the hell out of here um and then they they just throw tear gas grenades and they start beating the crap out of the protesters and like truly nothing has changed no like this we what i watched last night was like something that happened a few miles away from me in austin city hall austin apd 
a few weeks yep. ago. Like like it, it it was it is the same thing. There's no difference. Yeah. No, it's it's striking. Um, you know, especially the tear gas. You know, and and yeah. uh, of course the tear gas is worse now. I mean, because they have you know launchers to shoot tear gas even further here in this film. Right. And um, we get you know interesting close up shots of where you know they get to like tear open the tear gas canisters and throw them at yeah. people. Um, but uh, you know the, the the tactics are the same, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you are a peaceful quote unquote protester or if you're rowdy. Um, they're gonna gas you. Uh, they're gonna beat you with batons, and then they're gonna say that you you were the agitators, outside agitators or otherwise. Um, that you know, um, there's even an interesting shot of like a an old white woman who like she's yelling at them like this isn't that kind of town this is a nice town yeah. get out of here yeah, yeah. Uh, i yeah. also like when the 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 business representative says to the mayor they're not even parking here <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah and like and then marcus shows up because he knows his daughter's there and he's pissed off and he want he doesn't want her to get hurt um and at this point the cops are just like cracking skulls with with nightsticks and and just tossing more tear gas and and rounding people up um and i mean like like truly nothing has changed like students are still getting shot students are still getting killed by overzealous police officers and like this is what happens when you when when boiling points actually do boil over and um yeah i don't like not uh, not to say like I, I guess there, I mean, there are differences between now and what, like five decades, Jesus, six, seven decades ago. But like, when you really get down to it, it, it is the same fight that's still happening. And um, yes, this is a fictional movie, but seeing Forrest Whitaker punch a cop and pull it off, yes. of, pull him off of mm-hmm. his daughter that was strangling her, like really drove that home. Yeah. So there's this one... Um there's this one cop who he's just like this doughy faced, like literally pink, literally pink motherfucker who is, uh, who is beating Lucille with a, with a baton. And, um, Marcus, uh, just goes like full rage mode, uh, for the first time in the movie. And, and, and this image was pretty fucking striking in 2020 where Marcus, like he starts choking a white cop basically to death like he almost chokes this white cop to death i mean that like yep watching that for the second time i was like holy shit and it's and it's a slow motion and, and not only does he like start choking this guy out but he also like punches another cop in the face at the same time <laughs> like it's, it's yeah, pretty it fucking was, wild um it was great but eventually everyone marcus lucille and michael escape they they all pile into his car and they get away um i mean oh and and another prominent thing that's happening during this kind of like like miasma of of images is um a photographer is taking pictures of everything Mm -hmm. so we get we get we get the implication and later we're told explicitly that this goes national we get black and white again here um some some shots are in black and white um some shots uh freeze frame on some shots as if you know a, a photo is being taken and i think the last photo well, last shot slash like freeze frame photo is of an elderly um african-american woman uh who was hit by a baton and she has blood pouring down her head um 
you know, again, like, it's, you know, cops will, they, 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 they will beat up anybody. They will, you know, elderly man in 2020, elderly woman in, in 1965. You know, it doesn't, they don't care. Yeah, I mean, good cops don't exist. Like, theoretically, and for a lot of people personally, they do. But the, the very nature of the job incentivizes them not to be the very, to do their job, they can't be good cops. So that that's the argument right, right. there. So if... Any, 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 any pro cop listeners who are somehow listening to this podcast, <laughs> there, there's, there's your argument. Yeah. Um, uh, when we say all cops are bastards, we mean all, especially your uncle. Yeah. Especially your uncle. He's the worst one <laughs> by far. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we get home and Marcus is of course chewing out his daughter cause he, he's, he's terrified that she was almost killed. Um, and then the cops, the cops burst into his house well, and even before that, what's interesting... Yeah, you're right. It, it is significant. It's, yeah. it's kind of the inciting incident, if you will, um, what really changes... I mean, obviously, I think the protest is kind of the inciting incident, but what Lucille says to her father, she says, you're more mad at me for going to the protest than you are at the cops for beating me up. Um, and, and this is when he realizes that uh he he has to change you know that his that his mentality his kind of the the respectability politics that had been drilled into him uh don't work uh he has to you know he has to become someone different he has to uh have a different perspective on on these on these protests um because in the long run the cops don't give a shit if you're nice to them or not and we see that as the cops bust in and they take him to jail because it, pointedly the cop that he had been choking out is, is along, is there to help arrest him. Yeah. Yeah. And he even says, he's like, I was just protecting my daughter. And that cop says to him, well, you don't have that privilege. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, yeah, he's taken to the, the, um, the, the precinct um everybody else who was at the protest meets up at the church that night um and they i think it's a meeting of the voters league of the, yep. the negro voters league and yep. um they are going to vote on uh what to do about these protests because the reverend again kind of the more um respectability politics oriented guy he is he's he has a relationship with the mayor and he says okay well i'm going to go talk to the mayor and if the mayor can promise that he'll treat black people better in this city then we'll stop the protests so right as they're about to vote on that marcus comes in bloodied and bruised and he says over my dead body are we going to yeah. do that? Hell yeah. Um, and he's, he's like a lion, you know, he's just like, he's just totally awakened in this moment. Far, Forrest Whitaker, like, I mean, like, like hot take Forrest Whitaker's a good <laughs> actor, but like he, 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 I mean, he brings it. He, he's yeah, good. He does. He, he's fucking incredible uh, in this movie and just like every movie. I, I love Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. He's, he's just, it's just, he, he's one of those effortless actors that just like, like it, like, like I said, like it, it's, it's a hot take to say that like, Okay, let me back up. I'm, I'm getting into it. I'm getting too <laughs> self-referentially ironic. It is a very cold take. It is very obvious to say that yes. Forrest Whitaker is good, but it is a cold and obvious take for a reason. Like he he just brings it every time. Yeah, um, he, he's great in uh, Bill Duke's film uh, Rage in Harlem. He actually plays a very nebbish 
uh, very like Jerry Lewis esque character. Uh, he plays like an undertaker who who is is like um, he has a picture of Jesus above his bed uh, and a oh, picture yes. of his mother above his bed. Aww, and he and he's sweet. like a virgin, <laughs> and uh, he's he's just calling people philistines and blasphemers all the time. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> So he was, he was me. Yeah, as I was going to say, you might, uh, <laughs> you might relate to that a bit. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd relate to him. Um, my, you, you have two Forrest Whitakers inside you. Or no, Nick has two Forrest Whitakers inside him. He has the nebbish virgin blasphemer calling ne- Forrest Whitaker, and he has the, the weeaboo ghost dog ray to Samurai. <laughs> yes. I was wondering what the other one was, and that's it. You're right. <laughs> of course, there's yeah, no question. No question. <laughs> uh, but yeah, far as we go, he he whips. He's good in this. Um, and the point the point of the scene is is he is el- elected um, the new leader of the voters yeah. league. Basically, basically replacing the reverend, and and he takes great pains to say like, oh, I, I still respect you. I don't want to step on your toes. Um, but every, everyone, the the whole body of the church is essentially like, yeah, like you, you should be the leader. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a few dissenting voices. There's like one guy who he kind of dissents throughout the movie. Um, he's the guy who wears overalls. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's he's like bald with a mustache. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. bald with a mustache. He he wears yeah, like yeah. a white undershirt and he has overalls on throughout the whole movie. Uh, yeah, his his role is like like the like devil's yeah, advocate yeah guy. He, yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's so annoying but he's, he's great he's the, he's the reddit yeah. guy yeah, he's. um but uh so after the scene is um is the first scene where they uh discuss the idea of armed self-defense oh and fuck it's, yes, it's incredible so like this is i mean the music in the yeah the is music great. is incredible um like throughout the movie the the score is weird because the score goes from sometimes more like sappy made for tv movie uh soundtrack um like very heavy on like you know the strings um you know like violins and stuff like that but then it's like this scene where it's like very military-esque um yeah and uh yeah they're like just in a random warehouse and uh he he has like a luger a pistol in his hand and i think he's smoking at the same time and he's like all right yeah he just (laughs) it's so good yeah um and he's just talking he's like we we have to we have to have guns we have to patrol our neighborhoods we have to keep each other safe um and you still have to work and you're if you get tired well you're gonna sleep when you're dead that was incredible let's get this shit done that line was awesome um and he and 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 also very importantly, we see a lot of people people leaving. A lot yep. of the men just like, like once he whips out a gun, one guy like gets up and walks out. My favorite part about the scene is that he goes down the line of um, who will become kind of the main characters, uh, the, or I should say the secondary characters in this movie, uh, the deacons, because they're literally deacons at the church. Uh, these characters, T.J. Uh, Otis, Archie, and and Marcus are deacons at the Baptist Church, and he goes down the line and he asks them um, if they have served in the military and if they've killed white people, which is fucking great. Um, he yes. asks TJ yep. if he's killed white people, oh, and he yes. means Germans, because uh, TJ served 
in uh, World War Two and Korea. Yep. Uh, Archie served in Korea. And then Otis, who is played by uh, Paul Benjamin, like I said, um, great actor from uh, black exploitation movies. Um, he he pipes up, and he has a really like raspy voice. He has a very distinct yeah. voice, um, and he he says that he served in the first war. Hell yes, fuck yes. He's like, I, yeah, I, I killed Germans, but it wasn't in the forties. Yeah. It, it was. It's, it's so fucking good. great. Um, and then yeah. uh, Marcus mentions the double V which was a campaign during World War II, which was victory mm. overseas against fascism and victory at home against racism. It was amongst African-American soldiers. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's, a, it's just, a, a, you know, it's just this simple mention of it, but it, it's powerful and it's so important, I think, to just like bring that awareness to like people who are watching this movie in 2003. I would love to know what people thought when they saw this movie in 2003. Imagine watching this movie on television. <laughs> Honestly, I think that the insidiousness of that is like, I think a lot of people could rationalize it away as, oh, like this happened in the 60s. Probably, yeah. Um, in it was it was 40 years ago. It it hit that that is over and done with. And like that, I think that's a that's the dominant white view of racism in the civil rights movement. It, it's yes, that stuff was bad. I, I, I honestly think this, I honestly think a lot of white people truly think that they believe that they're against racism. Yes, there are a lot of racist people, but I, I think the majority of white people don't think they're racist and they, and they think that they are opposed to it and that they would be abolitionists if they were born during the civil war. But, Oh, of course, all that stuff isn't doesn't exist anymore. Like, like that 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 allows them to maintain that that contradiction in their head. Well, right, yeah, and that's why you know they see the protests now, and they're just like, well, what's why what's so bad? What are they even protesting? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, you know, the exact same thing they were protesting, you know, seventy years ago. Unfortunately, you know, maybe you should it, wake it's, up. It's 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 the technocratic accelerated version of that of that stuff that you are saying is dead. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, uh, from this scene, they, uh, they, they arm themselves, uh, pretty rudimentary weapons. They have some shotguns, some, uh, car, carbines and, you know, stuff like that. Nothing hunting, hunting rifles, rifles, um, you know, maybe stuff they got from when they were, you know, soldiers. Um, (laughs) and then they, they bust into the 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 lawyer's rented yes. office. They just like they just yeah. kick the door and they're like, "Hey, uh, we're gonna post uh, two armed yeah. guards here, and uh, we'll relieve them in yep. eight hours." Like, that's and it. he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, no! I practice nonviolence. I don't like guns." <laughs> like, okay, well, that's nice, but uh, we'll, we have these guys here, and we'll replace them yeah. in eight hours. Yeah, it's like, like, what are it's you gonna like, do? If you want to be like the last guys who their houses were firebombed, like you know, yep. good luck. Um, but we're going to keep that from happening no matter what you think about our methods. And Marcus's strategy is, is, is vindicated on uh, the next scene because um, the, the Zaz hitman guy rolls up to the front of the, the lawyer's building with two cars full of guys in literal KKK get up. Yeah. Um, and they're all carrying bats and guns and shit. Um, and they're about to get out. But then 
it's like a classic pincer movement. Yes. Like the deacons move in from yep. the side and then some pop up from the Yeah, two the other rooms. Some come out the yes. come out from the front door. It's just like boom. It's like a it's like a, it's like a three D pincer. It's like a <laughs> No, it's incredible. I, I fucking love this scene. Uh and they take all their guns. And then when they drive off, Otis is like, man, I've been waiting my whole life to do this yes. shit. <laughs> it's no, like, this shit's I, great. I, Otis like, is rocks. fucking incredible. Like, I mean, just <laughs> yeah. Paul, Paul Benjamin makes like every film better, but like just it, like the enthusiasm that he has for just like fucking up white people's shit in this movie is incredible. <laughs> like he's just, he's been dreaming since, since world war one, he's been dreaming about killing yes, more white people and it's incredible <laughs> since killing a bunch of krauts in like in, in Europe, he's just been dying to do it again. And I, I every time know. someone stepped in um, front of him or he had to go to the back of the bus, he was just like, I cannot wait to blow these people away. Um, we get some more B-roll interspersed throughout all this too. Some like some cool, um, a lot of like clouds moving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like like clouds moving across the moonlight, and um, and the other thing I want to mention is when Marcus's dad dies. Um, we get some image of of that stream. Yes, the, the, the rocks. And that's the why stream. I mentioned it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. we see that at least one other time I think in this film. Yeah, I forget. I th- I think it might have been when Marcus is having like a, a discussion with his son. Maybe. Yes, it is. Yeah, and that's great yeah, too. Yeah, Those yeah. scenes with his son, and we're kind of yeah. jumping ahead a little bit here with that, but um, not not really. Kind of this is like right around that. Same Actually, time. this is right when it happens because yeah. like Marcus establishes his his defense for the home, and and we get that Malcolm X. It's it's not explicit, but it's like he is holding a rifle in one hand and he's peeking yeah. out the window with mm-hmm. his other hand. So it's like Malcolm a black guy doing that in the south in the 60s that that's that's malcolm X right imagery. yeah um but he has this conversation with his son where his son is scared um yeah and you know he he and there's just so much going on in this scene because it's obviously like you know like his relationship with his son his relationship with his own father and how you know kind of he projects that onto his son or how he's maybe trying to make amends for the relationship he previously had with his father and then there's also the religiosity in this scene as well, because he tells him, you know, God is on our shoulders. And that, that and that punctuates the film, basically saying that, like, God is on our side in this fight, um, which the KKK thinks that as well. And we hear that throughout from the, you know, the, the Poindexter uh, KKK uh, teacher uh, oh, the, yeah. the the grand wizard um he he says you know like the lord we have the lord's fury and stuff like that um but you know this group is literally called the deacons for defense what is um marcus's son's name brooks okay because um i know saint christopher he carries christ across his shoulders ah. across the stream oh all right, and like like the idea of like literally, yeah, 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 telling, t- like putting like God on your shoulders, and it's a heavy burden, and, and crossing the stream imagery from yeah. Marcus's dad. Yeah, if the name, if if the son's name was Christopher, that would be that would been fucking dope. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'd been some Jesus brain right there, yeah. for sure. But um, well, Brooks, you know, like yeah, a the, brook, like a river. Well, that yeah, I I was like, oh, kind of like a, like a brook, yeah, yeah like a yeah. yeah, um. But anyway, back to back to the plot. Um, this is where like a lot of stuff happens pretty quickly because like there's a lot of like st- 
just like strategizing talk, uh, like strategery, um, and like going to, ooh, the I think the most important thing that happens in the second act is when Marcus, TJ, and Archie they go to the governor's house. Yeah, you're getting ahead of yourself though because they. Right. right. The, I think what what's next and what's most important um, that we've touched on but really haven't talked much about because it kind of only comes in right here is the the boycotts and strikes right. the labor aspect of it right. um which does not surprise me coming from bill duke because as we mentioned his first film he did for pbs um the killing floor was about the chicago uh, race riots of 1919 uh which um the characters in that movie work for a um a slaughterhouse mm. um so it's it's all about um labor and race relations um so this is something that bill duke like this is just his forte he's just like yeah i don't know it's just i've never seen a filmmaker who like had such a, a consistent vision and yet like no one fucking talks about this guy like he's obviously an well, auteur we're the first we're, we're legitimately enjoy this movie and we're legitimately like it aligns unironically with a lot of our politics and, and we we are we're, we're paving the way for discussion paving paving the way for reevaluation and appreciation of bill dukes yeah um and i have to shout out to jonathan rosenbaum because uh yes. he was where i first saw uh some praise of, of bill duke's films uh so as always our boy john the rosenbaum he's our boy he's, he, he's always right <laughs> the prophet rosenbaum himself <laughs> um he's right about the film ai and yeah, he's and, right about this <laughs> and from a thematic standpoint and I, I know that this actually happened in real life so like it, it's kind of ad hoc sim- symbolism but the idea of like a paper factory and paper being um symbolic of, of like literacy and being able to read oh, yeah. and, and bettering yourself that that definitely ties into the um the racial breakdown yeah for sure um of the history of this country and in the way that literacy was was used as a a a racial barrier um historically it, it, it just like f- it fits so perfectly definitely um so yeah they uh, along with uh michael dean the white lawyer uh archie tj and marcus uh, they come up with a strategy to um, cause strikes and boycotts of the paper plant uh, to uh, to leverage them to desegregate the plant. Um, they have a really interesting conversation with the manager of the plant um, where they kind of lay it all out. They say, you know, 75% of uh, Bogalusa's uh, income, city income, comes from this paper plant. Two out of five city council members are Patterson Paper Plant employees. You basically control this this town. Um, and if you don't desegregate, we're going to have strikes. We're going to do boycotts. Right. Um, and it's interesting cause the, the manager, he's like, he kind of plays dumb. He's like, Oh, I didn't know that about us. And like, Oh, yeah. oh well, we're just a small company. We can't do that. And then, you know, they're like, no, actually yeah. you guys it, make billions of dollars. If the, like, this fucking movie is so good. Like he, he felt very modern and real Yes. Oh, and, yeah. and, and like liberal mm-hmm. and liberal in his, his, um, his presentation. Cause like. He he basically says like I I don't have any racial animus towards yep. you but like my hands are tied like what can I do yeah. like I I get 
like he's like i we're just a small company and then when they call him on that he has a fallback excuse he's like well i have to go to corporate with any proposed yep. changes yep. And they're like, okay, okay, we'll do that for you. Like we already did that yesterday. Like yeah. we, we we sent them a letter. Yeah, they do they do um, a real Ozymandias right there. They're like, well, yeah, actually, <laughs> forty five minutes ago we. <laughs> it's a it's it's thirty five. Ah, damn! I'll, I'll I knew it was close. <laughs> um, but yeah, it like he that guy is middle management personified. Yep. Oh, like, yeah. like that's what middle management is when it comes to this kind of thing. Um. And, and like he he's one of those guys who like the character himself probably didn't consider himself like racist probably considered himself like a like a fair-minded guy for his day but like my my what can i do like i, I need permission from my bosses to do any of this shit um and they know that so they call his number on that so they um they th- this plant does get orders from national because not like i think we get like a quick scene of the ceo of the paper plant yeah mm-hmm and he's like, this shit is like a PR nightmare. Just like integrate the whole the whole damn factory. Yeah, because we get some. Um, I think it's probably some archival footage of like other, um, you know, boycotts and and strikes. Um, but because Bill Duke is a maestro, we don't know if it's archival footage or if it's just footage that they filmed and made black and yeah, white. Yeah, exactly. He already in, it's hard. He to already tell. introduced that element at the yes. beginning. It, he he he's he's working on that level ahead yeah. of us. It's so good. Galaxy brain. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the national news that um, the press they're getting from this uh, causes the the CEO just be like, well, fuck it. Like you know, we're gonna we're gonna desegregate. Um, the pressure campaign worked. Um, we get a scene where, you know, the, the boss, the manager of the plant tells everybody, hey, we're desegregating everything. And uh, the racists are like, oh, even the bathrooms, we got to go to the bathrooms with them. And they're like, yep, everything's yep. being desegregated. And these very satisfying shots of uh, these guys getting hammers and just taking down all the signs that say, like, you know, segregated uh, supervisor office, segregated bathroom, right. segregated this, that. They're just taking those all off. Um, and, and what's interesting, too, is that, uh, the way the shot is framed, the um, the deacons and uh, and uh, the white lawyer are kind of on like the catwalk of the uh, yeah, of the yeah, paper yeah, plant, yeah. and then all like the white racists are down on the actual you know floor, the shop floor. Um, so so they're they're literally above them, but they're also behind them, right? Like like that visual symbolism of like I mean, th- this is me reading really into it, but I think I think it holds. I up. think it holds it's up. Like they're, they're 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 morally elevated above above these racist assholes, but they are still behind right. them. Like they they're, like they're still relegate relegated yep, to the background. Exactly, that's the yeah. the social status that they Very have. Good stuff. Yeah, no, it's uh, I mean it's this movie's incredible. Uh, I gave it a five. Yeah. I gave it five stars in Letterbox. I give I've only given like two Good. other movies five stars in Letterbox, <laughs> uh, and that was hell yeah no uh, the the, um, uh, the Sasha Gray movie. Uh, the girlfriend experience. I gave that five on Letterbox. Uh, <laughs> Hell yes. Hell yes. Um. So yeah, the another thing that's brought up around this time, and it's kind of brought up there with the movie that was really on point is um, Marcus really doesn't like the the white lawyer. He's oh, he, yeah. he constantly he constantly calls his presence here. He's like, oh, is this your summer yes. vacation? It's <laughs> so like, good. And it is, it, it really is, is yeah. this carpetbagger guy. Like, I don't know. I, I don't want to like shit on the legacy of, of white people from the sixties who, who did do a lot, certainly more than I'm doing for, for the cause of civil <laughs> rights. But like sure. that only drive, 
that only drives home the point that like even people who do more than than we do even even white people who do more for for racial equality than we do like it is still a part-time vocation right it, it is still something you choose to do rather than something you're forced into by dint of of the race that you're born as right exactly and that's and that's what um i think you know in a scene right after this marcus says to him um he mentions uh, michael dean mentions something about like uh, this is hell or something and marcus says like you're right this is hell i am living in hell i am living in hell yep. every day because like you know, my friends and family, people I go to work with, people I live in the same community as are being killed because the color of their skin, they're being discriminated against, they can't get the right jobs and so on and so forth. And this is just the reality that we live with. So like, welcome to my hell. You think us, you know, carrying guns is hell. This is this is taking us out of hell. The the inherent weakness of I don't want to say weakness, but the the inherent unsustainability of of blanket nonviolence is really condemned in this movie. Oh yeah, um, for sure. It it's not com- it's not discredited because like the the comparisons to Martin Luther King are brought up, and even actually in a scene right around this time, um, the Reverend mentions that he had reached out to MLK's people, um, and Martin Luther King's people historically refused to align themselves with the Deacons for Defense because they were violent. Yeah. yeah. Um. So nonviolence is kind of presented as like a noble but ultimately incomplete um, approach. Right. Yeah. And and we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but at the end. Oh yeah, I, I think um, this happens a little bit later. Yeah. Well, we'll get to this. In the, uh, there's there's a neat little bow at the end here that wraps up um, this relationship and and this antagonism between these two characters right. and these two ideas. Um, but, uh, the next thing that happens and it's, and these next few scenes are just like insane. Some of my favorite scenes and I know I keep saying that, but like really this, this part of the film is just incredible. Um, the, the clan retaliates for the desegregation of the plant because so many clan members work at the plant and just because they they think, you know, oh, these uppity blacks are, you know, taking the jobs that us, us white men previously had. Now they can become supervisors. Now they can become uh, the, the, the truck drivers at the plant. Um, And they're also, what was also interesting is um, one of their demands is that they hire uh, black women at the plant. They had said that previously they had hired white women only and no black women at the plant. So it's also, you know, they they fight for the gender equality as well. Um, It's a small thing. You know, it's not really like, it's it's not really mentioned again, um, but it's there. So they, yeah, the Klan then retaliates in this next scene. Um, They have, you know, the the cross burning um and then they attack one of the black communities um yeah they uh, we we get like a rundown of what they do they they burn down a couple houses they they beat up they beat some people they send some people to the hospital uh nobody's killed and everyone's like oh thank god but like when's it going to happen essentially yeah and there's a lot of uh, really striking images um in, in this scene uh especially after the um the grand wizard gives his little speech about how, you know, white people are the best and uh, all that. He he rides out on a horse and it's just it's right. one shot. Um, yeah. And it's it's intercut with some, again, archival footage of, um, you know, um, beatings and, and such. Um, I think... Uh, um, yeah, I think it's archival footage. I don't... 
again, who knows? Uh, because Bill Duke's a master, but yeah, I I think at least some of it was was pick, like just pickup shots that they got because it, it two di- like different angles looked like the same building, yeah, kind of. That's true. Um, but yeah, the, the like like this this racist school principal guy just like wearing purple clan robes in his horse decked out, just like holding a torch, yeah. riding down this like pitch black country road. It, 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 it's effective as hell imagery. Yeah, really good. this pitch black country road that there's this like aura, this like red aura around him, mm, like this red yes. glowing aura that's like, it's ostensibly like, you know, the bonfire, but it's really just like this, this, this hate and animosity just like, you know, clouded right around this this figure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was crazy. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, holy shit. Like they did not have to go this hard. In this they, moment, but they did. But Bill Duke had to, and Bill of Duke course he's did. going to. Um, it was good shit. Um, I think notably, um, the white lawyers are beat oh, in this night too. They're they're beaten pretty badly, and like they're explicitly told, like we we gave you the clan members who who beat them say we gave you a chance because you're white. And and you you thumbed your noses at us, so well now we're gonna beat you like you were black. Right. Yeah. Mm, they yeah they uh they encounter them and they uh yeah yeah they beat him in the the alleyway. Mm. Yeah. And they're they're hospitalized and and Michael does see Marcus before he's sent to the hospital and he's like I'll I'll be back and and please don't do any more violence. So it's like okay buddy like yeah. come on yeah please <laughs> come on um, dude. <laughs> but actually what they do instead is they upgrade. Uh, <laughs> Oh my fucking Otis! Fucking Otis! Otis! Man. <laughs> they do they do a video game upgrade. They level up here. Um, He's like, I got I know a guy in in New Orleans. I'll I'll be back. Yeah. So he he takes a, he take a couple of hearses. Yes. To New he Orleans. Takes two hearses. So good. To New Orleans because he knows um, a man who an army buddy of his who is a longshoreman, uh, the Negroes Union of longshoremen. And uh, he says, and, and they and they mention like anything anything that comes into New Orleans comes through the docks. Yep, yep. which is true. He and, says um, uh, bananas, uh, cars, uh, you know, uh, grenades. Guns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's and he says, you know, that like half of uh, the workers are black on the docks, um, and uh, so some of those weapons that come through the docks apparently are M16s. Yes. Uh, M60s and yes. grenades. Uh, <laughs> it is great. And, is and the longshoreman guy, he's like, don't give me money. Give that money to the church yeah. anyway. Have fun. Yeah. Okay. It's fucking great. It's, it's you know, it, again, labor uh, working mm-hmm. with uh, the civil rights movement. Yep. Um, and going off my notes here, a scene, God, so much happens in this movie, like, I don't want to say it all. All the all the sequences jumbled together. It, it's just confusing to remember the exact progression yeah. of events, oh, just yeah. because a lot happens in it. Exactly. That's literally off, why I had to write the plot out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like going off of my notes um, here, right before they get the weapons, um, is is the the big mention of LBJ? Yes. Because we see, um, and, and this part was a little bit like tv-ish like the production quality seemed a little like thin um because it apparently it's like the head of the fbi in his office or whatever or, oh, or yeah, like yeah. the department mm-hmm. of defense or something just like department like, of justice like some extremely 
yeah department of justice like like some extremely high high level like pen pusher cop and it's like one of the other office buildings we've seen just like redecorated yep oh yeah for um, sure with like, a, with like a seal behind it this is like yeah. department, of, department of justice or whatever wood like, paneling whatever. and then the seal that's it yeah <laughs> the scene is literally three minutes long but he he mentions president johnson um won't send federal agents into bogalusa because um a nobody can even point to bogalusa on a map right and b um he de- his second term or his, his the election for his second term is upcoming and he's not going to alienate the south because he is of course he's like probably the most prominent democrat from the south in the history of this country um so he he wouldn't alienate uh southern voters uh black or white yeah yeah it's interesting because um at this at this point he has passed the the civil rights act right that happened in 64 yeah 64 so they mention that um and i think this might be one of the times where we go this might be when we go to the governor's house yeah um it's it's right around this time anyway but like this is when marcus TJ and, and Archie, they go to basically have a sit down with the governor as the go between with the mayor of yeah. Bogalusa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's really not much of a sit down. Uh, it's a non-starter because the governor and the mayor are like, hey, you guys got to just like disarm and then we'll have a conversation. And they're like, well, you brought us here. How about we have that conversation now? Yep. And then we'll figure out what we're going to do about our arms. And they're like, no, 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 no. You just got to listen to us. You got to, you know, this is the status quo. We have to maintain. Just stop. And they're like, no, fuck that. We're getting out of here. Yep. Um, and also notably, um, this is very important for one of, my, one of my big points at the end. But they're like, will, will you at least talk to the deacons of defense and have them stand down? And they're like, deacons of defense? Like, like we, we know of them, but like we, we've never talked to them. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Have, you, like, have you talked to them, TJ? No, no, I've never talked to them, TJ. How about you, Archie? He's I, like, I, I, I read the papers, but I don't know who they yeah, are. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was great. It was fucking yeah, great. Um. Oh, and then what else happens? Oh, and another scene. This part, part that I like. Um. There's a part where Brooks, Marcus's son, comes into the living room. And Marcus is like, "Oh, come here, son. Um, don't sit in the shadows. Come, come talk to me." And Marcus is lying down on the couch with a rifle next to him. Um, and he looks at his son. He's like, "Oh man, like how how'd you get so beautiful?" And his son's like, "Oh, I got it from you, Dad." Um, very sweet exchange. But like the way Forrest Whitaker's shot, because he's lying down. Yeah, yeah. And like he's got like his his <laughs> neck. <is> just- <laughs> It's like not a flattering angle, and <laughs> no. like the camera's looking up at him. Like yes. he doesn't look beautiful in this. Yeah. So <laughs> like, <laughs> like nobody looks good from that perspective. And Forrest Whitaker's just like, <laughs> like, like, like lying there. <laughs> it's very very funny. Yeah. D- uh, disparity between the the touchings touching dialogue for the scene and the way it was shot. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, you know, it 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 is a touching scene, and and again, I think the scenes between him and his son are like really well done, really unnecessary. Uh, yeah. I think like um, they add that, that gravitas to this film uh, along with like everything else. I mean, this is just a, a film full of, you know, pathos. Um, he also reconnects with his wife too. Like yeah. they have that scene where they're lying in bed and um, 
she she's all emotional because she's like oh you you've been gone for so long but now you're back to me essentially like you're you, you came back because you're you're more like yourself now and it's horrible that it took this to get you back here but just just don't die because like your family needs you yeah mm-hmm. definitely you yeah, know that seems great as well i i wish there was there was more between him and his daughter lucille um we get a scene I don't know. at I the they... end with them which is good i i, I like that scene at, at but the I mean, school and in the beginning too like like when when she says you're more mad at me than you are at the white people that beat yeah. me no i i think like i just i guess i wanted one more in between those two yeah like, yeah what one more would have been good because like we, we get we get that stuff in the beginning with him him forbidding her from going to the rights and then we get the stuff at the end that we're going to get to in a minute the the sun kind of picks up the slack in the middle yeah yeah exactly he's like the sun gets like these kind of like we're like serious and and slow scenes that she doesn't exactly get with him so it's just just one but it's it's fine i mean it's not a you know it, it's really my only criticism of this film <laughs> yeah yeah honestly the only the only big problem i have with this movie it, it's not the fault of anyone on screen or anyone participating is i just wish, wish it had a bigger budget honestly yeah. and oh yeah and that it's a tv made for tv production so that that's to be expected but like I mean, even given the limited budget, they they get a lot out of every dollar that they have. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, just maybe it's shot in digital. I mean, it's 2003, so it's it's at least shot on, like, tape, you know, like a Mm. lot of TV is at that time. But this would have been a movie, like, it would have been cool if they could have shot the whole thing on film. But Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, it it doesn't look bad. A lot of, like... Made for TV is kind of like infamous for for shoddy production, and and like it it looked a few scenes, especially like when they reuse sets or they yeah. reuse like locations. Mm-hmm. That it kind of like the the veneer wears thin a little bit, but like even for that, it it looks good, it plays good, um, it looks cinematic like it should. Yeah, I think its weakness is some of the interiors, definitely like Marcus's house. Like it's mm. it's a fine set, but they really don't do anything much with like the setting. Um, the best interiors really are like the church and the and like we said the paper the paper plant the mill the mill the yeah. mill itself. But they 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 get a lot of mileage out of the you know the out, outdoor the exterior shots. Um, the KKK layer, I guess that they oh, we see yeah, like yeah. the inside. I think that's literally. Um, the lawyer's office yeah, just I, with drapes yeah over it but like it looks different enough in like the few scenes that we get like it they do something with the lighting like like the lighting's like more demonic it, it looks yeah, appropriately yeah. like like profane yeah it's good yeah i know no i mean they, i think yeah they they're able to reuse the sets in an interesting way um what else happens next oh i think this is when the um department of justice lawyer takes their case to the district court of louisiana right yeah they they actually get someone from the department of justice to take the case to court um and they play footage that have been taken of the racist cops essentially just not doing anything to stop um the the black protesters and the black volunteers from getting beaten um the judge is portrayed as like very very like good and ethical like he's he chews at the cops and he says if this happens again you're you're gonna be in jail and then yeah 
And they point out that some of the, the cops are clan members. Yep. And that those cops specifically can't be within like a hundred yards of a protest. Yep. Um also another another thing that hasn't changed to this day, we get like footage of the of the white people in Bogalusa carrying the the Confederate flags. And and the judge is like, oh, like uh, like it, it's it. He's like, it seems like there's no American flags in the entire damn town. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's more interesting is after this scene when they've won their case, yes. And Michael Dean and Marcus Clay are exiting the courtroom, and uh, the the Department of Justice lawyer, uh, Mr. Garrison is his name, actually, which is, I just kept thinking of South Park the whole time. He kind of looks like Mr. He Garrison, kinda, Yes, too. he does, actually. <laughs> like a younger Mr. Garrison. In, in like a like a, a human realistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that is well, yes. He's not a cartoon character. He's not the one cartoon character in the movie. Um, but he's okay. like, well, you guys look like you lost the case. Like, come on, couldn't you, shouldn't you be happy? Um, and this is like one of the only parts where like, the the white lawyer michael dean like actually has something to do and says something interesting uh, well he he's learning right like he, yeah, exactly. he he has a character arc he he never he never really abandons his his commitment to nonviolence, but he he learns throughout the film right yeah and he's so this and i want to read this i wrote it down because it, it's so interesting and i think like it's something yeah. that people should not forget uh, especially in 2020 where there is a resurgence of white supremacist violence not so much like from actual Klansmen although there was uh, you know some some clan Klansmen violence more recently I know in Richmond uh, I think it was like the Virginia head of the Klan guy who attacked protesters in Richmond and I think last week um, so mm-hmm. you know they're still active um, but you know it's 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 much more stuff like um, white supremacists uh, like the the boogaloo type guys now and all that Um but uh, so Michael Dean says about the Klan and and kind of why they're not happy that they won the case, because basically it, it, the same shit's going to happen continually. Um, Michael Dean says uh, the Klan is not beer drinking rednecks with sheets on their heads. The Klan is an incredibly violent paramilitary fascist organization that dictates to the police, the local government, the school boards. It's more murderous, pervasive and influential than any crime organization in the United States, including the mafia. And the only reason that Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, and the rest of the world is not up in arms about it is because their victims are black. Um, uh, it's, it's it's pretty powerful. It's true. And it's yeah. true. Um, you know, it's it's very seldom is it laid out uh, as perfectly as that. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of people do just think of the Klan as, you know, oh, just inbred rednecks who hate black people and they just hide behind their sheets all the time. But... Um, you know, since its inception, the Klan um, had uh, a lot of uh, governmental influence. Um, sometimes it, it was, you know, uh, uh, members of local governments who were in the Klan. Of course, it's, it's always been populated by, by police officers, but by lawyers as well, by, by school teachers. Um, and, you know, they, they have a, a paramilitary, they are paramilitary. Uh, they've always been well armed. Uh, they have regiments. Um, they, they've they've come out of uh, wars. Uh, uh, 
academic uh, Kathleen Ballou has a book, Bring the War Home, about how basically every white supremacist organization in America has uh, come out of a war of some kind and is, is, mm. is full of veterans. Uh, the yeah. first clan comes out of the Civil War. Yeah. Um, and then out of uh, World War One, and then out of out of out of World War uh, Two as well, uh, mm-hmm. and the Spanish American War, uh, you know, it just continually. And then after Vietnam, and then after you know what we're seeing now, after yeah. the Iraq War, um, yeah. so it's just it's interesting to see it laid out like this in a made-for-TV movie in 2003 <laughs> by the White Felson. Yeah, <laughs> by the White Felson character. Another thing this movie really embraces um, that's accurate to the real life clan is how Christian it is. Yeah. Um, it it gets a lot. I mean, the burning cross, right? Like it get, it gets all that iconography out of um, out of white Christendom, and that that's in keeping with a lot of the more racist and colonial aspects of Christianity. Um, and th- this movie doesn't shy shy away from that. Like the 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 Epstein lawyer. Not lawyer, but like the Epstein, like principal teacher, character, like grand wizard character. <laughs> At one point, Marcus is like, "Go back to your your wizard or your poobah, whatever the fuck you call yeah, that yeah, guy." Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's such it's nerdy. It's such nerdy, pathetic bullshit. It's like the the grand wizard. It's like, I don't know. It it's it's such a joke at this point. But like sometimes you do miss like how much of like like a fucking loser name that is like the grand wizard. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it just. It, goofy as hell a grand dragon like all of the you know the, the crazy names they use yeah it, it it's all wrapped up in like weird racial racially essentialist like christianity and, and like like this fantasy archetype and and this kind of ties into my thing i'm gonna say at the end of the my recommendation at the end but like it, it's all like fantasy like hierarchical bullshit and um the, the, this movie does it, it doesn't like portray them as like goofy and harmless racists but like it, it it plays up that like almost like weird nerdy aspect of it too yeah for sure i mean like the even like you know mr Conley, the like the skinhead looking one like he he even just like the way he like walks and like just the way he doesn't really talk much like he he kind of does come off as just like a nerdy fail son character he, he's like a he's like a channer he's like a fortune yeah guy. exactly um, no, it's interesting. And then there's the one guy who like has like the fedora, the one KKK yes. guy who has the fedora. I think it's the big fat guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so yeah, it's interesting. Yep. I mean that that um, yeah, the cognitive dissonance there is really interesting. Um, but from here, um, there it's it basically uh, exactly what they say uh, comes to pass. They said that well, there's still going to be uh, you know this KKK activity. And the cops are going to more or less let it happen because that's the way of, you know, that's that's how that's what happens in this country. Um, because as schools are being desegregated, um, uh, specifically the, the school in uh, Bogalusa, I think it's the high school where Lucille goes, uh, the Klan shows up. Um, yeah. To um, kill everybody. Yeah, essentially. Um, but the deacons for defense were prepared. Um, they get all the kids on buses and the buses, they, they, they zoom out of there. Um, notably Lucille stays. She's like, I'm not leaving. So she hides in in the school. Um, but the Deacon's defense, they, they line up and they get all their guns and they, 
they don't call the cops, but like part of their plan was for the cops to arrive, the, right. local, the local police. Mm-hmm. And the police do, and they tell the deacons to def- they they try to tell Marcus and his deacons to like stand down. Um, but Marcus, part of his plan is he he gives his gun to one of the other deacons. He's like, I'm I'm disarmed, and it's your job to protect me. And he starts walking towards the line of KKK. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I guess this is like the only time that um, uh, Michael Dean's like appeal to authority and law and order kind of works because he has the other lawyer right. call the district attorney and tell them like, hey, the cops aren't doing shit about. Yeah, he, um, he, 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 he screams for the mods to enter. Yes. Yeah. He's like, mods, mods. <laughs> Mods, the, the cops are, um, they're trying to disarm us and not the clan. And this, this is good because like the, the racist local police, they don't become good. No. They are manipulated into doing what they should have been doing the entire time. Right. Exactly. Which is great. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's basically good. the Deacons play 4D chess and they're like, all right, cool. Like yes. they play 4D chess. They <laughs> what are you going to do now, asshole? Like checkmate. They they really are Ozymandias brain. They um, <laughs> they they play on the cops' fear of losing their their own status and being being imprisoned themselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's they, they don't like out of nowhere become the heroes of this movie. Um, the heroes of this movie are the Deacons uh, until which the it, last. Which minute is of this good film. narratively because it would be insane if just like the, yeah. the cops are just like oh whoa we got orders from above um and also it's it's faithful to real life too because that that is what cops are like they they don't cops protect property they don't protect people and um they protect private property primarily um they, they need to be incentivized by like fear of punishment to do anything remotely approaching good right and and of course the people that they do um, you know protect are are the wealthy or those who have uh, you know similar tendencies like the like the the clan skin color <laughs> and skin color right <laughs> uh, so the clan uh, you know there's a reason uh, there's the the common protest chant uh, the the cops and the clan go hand in hand uh, it's just it's it's true folks if you think otherwise I mean you're naive that's just what it comes down to if if, if you think otherwise. Um there's some statistic you should look up. It's like 40% of police officers do something. I forget what it is, but Google that. <laughs> yeah, that should, that should clear up a lot of questions. Um, but yeah, so the, the cops are, are, are maneuvered into protecting the deacons or defense in the school. And when the grand pooba wizard dragon dude tries to shoot Marcus or threatens Marcus with a gun, um, the police chief is, is essentially forced into arresting him. Yeah. Yeah. So they, 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 they book him. Uh, and then, yeah, Marcus and his daughter have a little moment here where he's like, uh, he yeah. says to Lucille, he's like, you did this, like, don't forget, like, you know, you, you made this happen and he's very proud of her and, you know, they embrace, uh, and then the, the last scene of the film is at the, the, it actually it's, it, this, the barn and this, the, the lynching yep. of the African-American man, uh, bookend this film because they go to the barn where the man was lynched when he, you know, in, in the thirties. Uh, and uh, they burn the barn down. Yeah, uh, actually, notably, um, Brooks throws the torch in. Right, like the like the, the, the new generation. Yep. Um, burns away the past, which is good. Yeah, and uh, 
and and that is, is is kind of an echo of something that is previously said by Marcus because uh, when he gets arrested that one time and gets beaten up, he says that like the cops told him. I think he he means it like more implicitly than explicitly, but he's like the cops by doing this today they they told me that they're going to do this to Brooks. They're going to do this to Brooks's kids, and they're going to do it to those kids, kids, and and so on and so forth. Like this is going to be a perpetual cycle of violence on my ancestors if I don't do anything, if I don't stand up. Um, so this is his son, the next generation standing up and and the other you know the students as well like uh umfo kao's character is there um and uh, and uh, what i also think is interesting and we hear this a few times throughout the film they have a rallying cry where they you know they say their name deacons for defense and they you know they lift their guns but they also say never again um which is um something that came after uh the holocaust uh the post-war period um Holocaust survivors would say never yeah. again, uh, meaning the, the, the genocide uh, of the Holocaust, um, that it would it would never happen again. It would they, no one would allow it to happen again uh, because of constant vigilance. Um, and, um, you know, you, you hear it now um, with everything going on. You see signs, people holding it. Um, I think it's it's interesting to tie those two together. Yeah. Um it all wraps up very nicely, neatly, and thematically. Um, we also get um, a little, a little text closing, um, saying that the Deacons' defense spread after this. They're they're they are real. They did spread. Um, and there's a curious. It it ends really curiously. It's like to this day, um, they they kind of faded into into semi legendary status, and and not many people readily identify as members right yeah uh it, it ends very cryptically which is, which is very it, it lends it like this mythic weight the whole everything that happened even though what happened what is is very real to real life right it's very accurate to real life mm-hmm. um and now that i think about it the one other the one thing from a writing perspective that i thought could have been developed better um was the the zaz assassin hitman guy because like he he's really kind of played up throughout the movie, he's like this psycho like racist guy who who's waiting for his chance to essentially, essentially whack Marcus. Right. Um. But at the end, he he basically becomes the leader of the KKK guys after the the dragon wizard is is taken away. That's right. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, everyone stand down, and like like that's the end. Like, yeah. I I thought he would be killed in some way or something, or he would he would try to kill Marcus or whatever. Yeah, it would be interesting did something like that. I guess there's really just like very little like I mean or there's no explicit violence in this film, right? Like no one gets shot. Like the only um, violent part is the lynching, I guess. Oh well I guess when people, people get beat people get blood beat. that's shown there. I don't think for a movie with a shit ton of guns in it, I don't think a gun is ever shot. No, I don't think so. I mean no one yeah, no one dies by gunshot and no guns are shot. I think the only time there's a gunshot is in the opening when Marcus and his dad hear a gunshot right. and see it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, which which is wild. Like like the the ratio of like guns appearing on screen to guns being fired is is yeah, it's staggering there. That's for it's, sure. It's, it's it's being ratioed on Twitter. It's like it's, <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Oh, and I guess we do get that last scene between Marcus and Michael Dean where uh, Michael realizes, like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do my nonviolent stuff without you guys defending us. And like, he kind of he respects him, but he realized that but he still is like, I'm I'm never going to come around to what you do. Yeah. Um, But it's obviously, you know, the gains of our movement would not have been possible without, you know, you armed guys defending us. Yeah. And we've been a little bit critical of, of nonviolent peaceful protest and and that's unfair because like nonviolent peaceful protest is is a huge part of this country's history of civil rights and um and, and even today obviously like it in many cases that's that's the best tactic that's the best viable tactic for making gains in um in in this kind of arena but like it's and, and I don't want to come off like this armchair, like white boy, just being like, oh, nonviolent people protest like that. That's bullshit. Everyone's got to take up arms, but I'm not going to do it. But like there, it can't be the only thing just like e- even an academic discussion, even abstract, like kind of separated, removed discussion of these things like you you can't limit it to that just because that, that's being blind to the realities of of the way that racism and oppression work in, in the world. Right. Yeah, no. I mean, it's literally what the phrase diversity of tactics means is, is that yeah. uh, nonviolence is all well and good, but at some point you have to, uh, you know, defend yourself um, outside of the traditional means of defense, um, be that by making yourself a paramilitary force <laughs> um, yeah. or, you know, uh, just, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, taking up arms in some way and defending yourself against, um uh, another oppressive force becomes necessary when that other oppressive force is something like the KKK or, you know, the U S government, um, local PD, stuff like that. Like it's, yeah. you, you can't just, uh, think that, um, they're going to play nice. Yeah. Um, so workers of note, who do we have? Um, <laughs> besides everyone, <clears throat> besides everyone, we have John Frenchie uh, Berger, who is the armorer. Hey, Frenchie. Hey, That's great. Frenchie the armorer. So uh, we've we've discussed armorers before. They're just they, they get the guns for people. Um, it's another name for that. Uh, a lot of guns in this movie. They're cool. Uh, yeah, they they're, do a good job they're good. Getting a good diversity of, uh, of of guns here. They're actually. I was surprised to see this film has an entry on internet movie firearm database um maybe we should do that if we want to put in the time and effort no to no s- i saw it they it exists i was surprised. Oh, i'm sorry i thought you, I thought you said it, 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 it is not no sorry. no i i thought it wouldn't at all i was like there's no way this movie has an entry but it does and it was it was extensive it had every gun listed oh yeah because I, I i looked up I, they don't say that they say it's an m60 which is the larger machine gun but they didn't say what kind of uh automatic um rifles they had and those are m16s which uh basically went into production the same year um and and were adopted by the military that same year uh, 1965 i thought they were um ar18s um, which is the guns that the uh, IRA used. They look very similar, um, but they sure. were considered um, inferior. So the uh, sure. the U.S. Army had, uh, used the M16s, which they still use to this day, different versions, but um, that's the the gun of the U.S. Uh, military is the M16. Sure. Uh, so armor, uh, yeah. The other two that we have are Deborah Ricketts and Kathy Levitt, 
um, both stock footage researcher and and one of the biggest things that I guess um, stylistically that we did hit on was the usage of b-roll and stock footage and, and pickup shots like that um, all like I, I never expected I would have a category in my brain for something like this but like this is one of the bet this movie uses stock footage in b-roll like among the best of any movie I can even think of like it it really does that like that's such a weird unexpected um superlative for a movie to hold <laughs> right? in my mind but like fuck me it's true yeah this and uh boxcar bertha <laughs> yes yeah how could i forget both damn like we we have to get back to our roots we have to get back to just bad embarrassing like 90s tween movies like that we can just hate on just like <laughs> it just like snark at because like we we've had a, a number of pretty good movies recently yeah we have and we have some pretty good ones coming up honestly we do uh we we're do. gonna have one of our oldest films that we've ever uh reviewed coming up soon yeah that that is gonna be interesting yeah. um yeah the way that like yeah that, that that one's gonna be i'm not gonna spoil it but like I'm, and just <laughs> okay okay we have we have an interesting pattern discovered I'm, I'm looking at our recent movies so we start off with uh the revenge of skywalker or the rise of skywalker bad <laughs> um <laughs> boxcar bertha good. unironically good yep. dungeon and dragons terrible bad yeah geronimo unironically good yep. Digimon bad, bad. <laughs> bad. <laughs> bad ironically bad ish for Digimon. I mean, you know, I'll, I got a different. Damn, I almost had you. I almost had you. That was that was my tactic to try to get you done. Digi- Digimon for defense. <laughs> the Digi- <laughs> Digimon for computer McAf- McAfee defense. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So our right, so our, closing thoughts. Uh, you go first. You take the broke. Yes. Our broke recommendation is just for fans of historical dramas. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, if you like the film Selma, if you like like the John Adams miniseries, that kind of stuff. Like, you'll like this. You'll get something out of this for sure. And this one's stylistically unique enough that you'll you'll just get something out of it, just just on a pure aesthetic level. Too. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nick, give us uh, truly the oh, wokest, most galaxy brain take <laughs> we've ever done on this show. Okay, so I, I blame I blame my my good my good friend June June baby. This one's for you. <laughs> um, she she's she's all about like archetypes and like and embodying. I don't want to I don't want to invoke like Joseph Campbell because he he's kind of like like teenagers passing around a joint level of like yeah bro yeah like, star wars is like mythic all right what about like i, uh, I like joseph campbell what about jung yeah i mean jung is kind of like the proto campbell right yeah he, but, like, he, he was young but he, yeah. he I, I would consider him more a more of a serious scholar than than campbell and, and not to to dismiss campbell out of hand like i i'm i'm fond of him um and and we can oh my god do you Okay, so th- this is like a digression on a digression, but do you want to tell my Joseph, our Joseph Campbell story, the book, The Hero of the Thousand Faces? No, because we did it in the Digimon episode. Fuck. We just did, did that. We, did we actually? Yeah. I I, I could have sworn that was just a discussion between... No, 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 no it's in the episode. Is, reality is fragmenting because yeah. I could have sworn there was just a discussion between me, you, and Lucas. Oh, no, that's that's how the episode closes. That's how the Digimon oh, yes. episode okay. closes okay. with that story. So the <laughs> second, second... Subsequent episode in a row where we reference Campbell. Yep. <laughs> but, yep. 
God knows why, but <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So re- re- quarantine brain really fragmenting. Don't hold it. Against me. <laughs> um, all of which is to say spurious accusations of anti-Semitism against Campbell that I've kind of heard. I can't, I can't confirm or deny them, but yes, I am fond of Joseph Campbell. So back to back on track archetypes, archetypes in, in fantasy and like, in. I think this is applicable to real life politics, like racial politics, because call me fucking crazy, but like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and like, and, and, and like Batman bullshit, like all of that directly impacts the way a lot of people view politics and the way a lot of people view like sociolog- like sociological, socioeconomic factors, right? For sure. Um, people people that fucking meme of like avengers endgame and like people oh my like, god bernie bros black lives matter like, like just all facing off against whatever evil thanos represent like yep. pop culture dominates the brains of way too many people um so instead of like going into harry potter or whatever like in lord of the rings the the dunedain rangers which are the the race of of, of greater men who are like racially superior to all the lesser men in middle earth like they live longer um they're they're more skilled they're more similar to the elves and notably their skin is much paler than all the other men jesus fucking so, christ yeah i God, look like I, I i will i love talking i'll love talking until i die but like it is racially fraught to put it mildly <laughs> but yes. that said the archetype of like a a semi legendary kind of like semi like very secretive like band of of like men elevated above other men who 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 put their put their superior skills and superior abilities to work in service of like everyone else that is an archetype that's pervasive throughout fiction um i I think you could say like superheroes like batman kind of like embodies that kind of thing sure but notably the dunedain um in lord of the rings they 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 play that up and so i would say my supremely galaxy brain take that it took me five minutes to justify is that the deacons for defense are the american dunedain amazing yes so so weird nebbish fantasy losers who would otherwise be inclined to go on to like a a a slash pole form on 4chan don't don't go into weird racial essentialism that comes out of D and D. The deacons for defense are, are are the archetype you need to you need to honor and, and emulate. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Look, it makes sense. It, you, you just had to follow me down the the twisted path. He came in five minutes before we recorded. He put one note in our shared notes drive, and it was this. And it was too late for me to stop him, folks. So, <laughs> oh god, I'm, I'm jokerified. I'm, You're welcome. I'm just, You're all welcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So our bespoke take uh, to uh, take away the the levity that we have here. Uh, yeah, th- th- this is a, this is a legitimate take. This is this is unironically good. Um, so for all your um, anti-gun or gun control liberal friends and family members who are kind of you know, watching the protests happen or, you know, who just are always kind of um, more fearful or, or per- pearl clutching around the idea of, um, you know, uh, the left or anybody arming themselves. Um, but specific the left, you know, I mean, because 
obviously we don't really want the right to be armed, um, but we do yeah. want the left to be armed. I think it's important for the left to have uh, gun safety knowledge um, for reasons. Uh, that's all I'll say for reasons. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and I mean, like we, we make a joke about like, Oh, doing redacted. And like, like um, we, we make a joke like the FBI is going to shut us down or whatever. But like, honestly, we have a goddamn second amendment. We do have and, a second like, amendment. That's true. It's, it's a joke and it's a meme, but like we, we can discuss owning weapons and it's not illegal. It's, it's like our right. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It, it's, it's our legal right to own weapons if we want to. And, um, of course, you know, it's, I'm not telling your liberal friends or family members, they have to go tomorrow and buy a gun of their choice, but, um, they should watch a film like this to kind of understand why people on the left do arm themselves um and uh, they should read a book called this Nonviolent stuff will get you killed by charles e cobb jr um which uh, mentions the deacons of defense actually they f feature pretty uh, uh, prominently in the book um and other uh, self-defense groups like the black panther party um people forget that the the Black Panther Party's full name is this the the Black Panther Party for self defense. <laughs> like that's legitimately their name. Um, yeah. You know they they started arming themselves because they realized the the cops wouldn't fuck with them as much if they were armed. Uh, now of course that didn't turn out well for them, but uh, yeah, that that's the reason California has such strict gun laws is um, right Ronald Reagan right actually <laughs> because as directly response as a direct response to the Black Panthers implemented some of the strictest gun laws in the nation at the time right exactly um, I would also recommend everyone uh, obtain some combat knives and or swords as uh, their their <laughs> their practical melee weapons um, also they lend themselves very well to unboxing videos yes. When, yeah, when uh, Nick finally uh, buys his sword of choice, uh, we will do an unboxing video, I promise, folks. Oh, we should. We ha okay, yeah, that's great. Procon, Procon Practical Hanway Katana unboxing video. Yes, and when I when I finally get my Witcher sword uh, from, uh, oh, fuck. I think Sweden, like there's a guy who is yeah. the only licensed uh, blacksmith for Witcher swords. Yeah. Fuck yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, but also, folks, uh, you know, a lot of people, and we've mentioned this throughout this this podcast, this episode about like the idea of nonviolence versus uh, armed self defense. The reality is that a lot of uh, nonviolent civil rights leaders, you know, had armed defense groups around them or armed guards, um, and that's you know that is a, that is that is the on the historical record. Um, uh, civil rights leader Glenn Smiley uh, said of MLK's house that it was an arsenal. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, MLK was nonviolent. He probably didn't uh, handle guns himself, but he had people around him who were armed uh, to protect him. So, Right. Um, I think a more recent example would be Cornell West. He, he is, he himself is is a nonviolent person um i i don't know his exact position on nonviolence but i i know he's he that that is his that that is his lane but in in charlottesville he said that if it wasn't for antifa that that fought back against the nazis that tried to hurt us like we some of us wouldn't be here yeah 
Um, he's like god god bl- he he said like god bless antifa for defending us from the nazis yeah um colonel west and other uh, clergy members uh were linking yep. arms uh outside of lee park uh in charlottesville i forget if that one's called yep. justice park now it was renamed but still it holds a statue of robert e lee um they were yep. uh, linking arms outside of not for long not hopefully. for long hopefully folks um not for long but uh, they were linking arms outside of one of the entrances, one of the stairwells, and uh, if not for uh, anti-fascist uh, demonstrators blocking uh, the uh, neo-Nazis uh, for, uh, and other white supremacists from getting to uh, Cornell West and, uh, and the other clergy members, uh, it, it might have played out differently. So, um, yeah. you know, and some of them were armed. There were members of, um, you know, socialist um, uh, Rifle, what is it? SRA, Socialist Rifle or SRA, Socialist Rifle Association, Association. Um, and the John Brown Gun Club. They were there in Charlottesville on uh, uh, August twelfth uh, of uh, twenty seventeen. So, you know, they um, they 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 keep people safe. Um, yeah, and it's uh, I think it's necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's all that need to be said. Uh, watch this movie. It 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 whips. It's awesome. It it rules. Um. Yeah, and uh, thank you, Bill Duke. He's, who, who knew? Who knew? We we know. Well, we, we know now. Yeah, we do, and you do. Um, and and Rosenbaum. And knows. Rosenbaum, of course. Uh, yeah. So you know, folks, um, if you if there's a protest in your town uh, and you can safely go to it, go to it. Uh, if you can donate to a yeah. mutual aid group um, in your town or maybe another local town um, that has a mutual aid group or a bail fund, do that. There's always the national bail fund. Yeah. You can donate to that. At, at at the very least, put some money down. You 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 can probably afford it. Um, I, I don't want to like get preachy or anything, but it, it's not it's not a lot to ask to give some money to these to these causes yeah and, and it, it, it really isn't a lot to ask yeah and especially like a, a mutual aid fund like every cent counts yeah. you know it's it's buying food it's buying in in the age of coronavirus it's buying masks for protesters it's buying water um so you, you know your five dollars can go a long way um and for a bail yeah. fund as well i mean you know it's it, this you know 20 bucks five bucks can go a long way um so you know look that stuff up there's plenty of resources on twitter um you know maybe we can yeah that that's the other big thing make make sure it's a it's a vetted organization but it it you, you can you can figure out in five minutes if it's if it's a reputable organization or not yeah definitely um and i think just a little bit of housekeeping in terms of procon um and kind of related to that um we've alluded to this but we <laughs> and and maybe we'll have some more information already posted um at this point, but we we do want to start streaming. We want to start a Procon video game stream. Yes, mm-hmm. um, we tested it we out. Did. It was okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, th- thanks. Thank you to Lucas, uh, the guest from our our last episode, yes. and to our our number one simp labor giant. Thank you. We we love you both. You're you're both amazing kings. Um, you you took a good I don't know hour just to listen to us as we we smashed our heads yeah. against our keyboards just listen to me because we couldn't get nick's audio to work uh <laughs> yeah uh but we we think we know what the problem is yeah. and um we should be up and running um if not this coming weekend which is the weekend of the i don't know i don't know what i'm not trying to like get the word out on this episode but like the 
I, I just want to say like we we have this in mind and it would be fun to get the like some kind of like community involvement some kind of like i don't know just people coming together as we waste time here in quarantine playing games and shit yeah for and, sure um, and hopefully raise some money for some good causes yeah we'd like to do these charity streams um you know we have a decent listenership um and if we can just get you guys together to give money to a good cause um you know i think uh, that'd be cool so uh yeah we'll have more yeah. information about that on our twitter uh in the next yeah I, I just wanted to bring it up and kind of get it in people's minds and stuff yeah yeah uh so if there's a game that you'd like us to play uh you can recommend it we probably won't play it uh but <laughs> with it with it uh, yeah i was gonna say within, within reason, reason. We'll, we'll take it into consideration yeah, we'll, we'll think about it but we have some ideas already yeah we have some good like narrative based games that are like finite that that end and we have some like kind of more free-flowing like oh just chill and hang out like city skylines that kind of yeah thing. yeah definitely so cool to make to make like a to make a pro-con um socialist utopia in city skylines. <laughs> uh, hell yeah it's you know i tried doing that once well i i got that game and a few other sims games for my wife and i was like just you know backseat uh, video gaming and I was like all right give no yeah, money yeah. to the cops because you could do that you can you can you could defund the cops in city skylines yep. but the way the game is structured basically crime goes up in right. your city so therefore like everybody just vacates your city and then your city like just dies yeah there I mean again this will be the last digression and then we can end this but like um so city skylines is obviously based on um the sim city series yeah. which is kind of kind of fallen off at this point um I don't want to say the SimCity like line is done, but like it, it's it's pretty definitively done. That that's why City Skylines came out. Um, Will Wright, who's like the head behind Maxis, he he read some book. Um, th- there's an article. I'll try to find it, but like the idea behind SimCity is based on this like supply side economics nonfiction text that came out in the '80s. So like that the game is ideologically predisposed yeah. to favor like free market politics essentially. Yeah, it's pretty apparent from watching it. Yeah, I mean that that yeah, like the it's it's not like a model behind uh, of like societal change. It's like yeah. oh, ex- existing existing uh, society like governmental structures and if if you could tweak them, how would that turn yeah. out? Well, you can watch us bankrupt cities on City Skylines. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that wraps up this episode. Watch Deacons for Defense. It's on Amazon. Um, definitely, definitely worth your time. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Um, we will see you next week. See you then. Cities are burning. All over the USA. Yes, these cities are burning now. All over the USA.
Yes, you know if these white folks don't settle up pretty soon, we all gonna wake up in Judgment Day. You know God told Noah about it, by the rainbow sign. There'll be no more water, but there'll be fighting next time about it for feeling now. All over the USA. Yes, you know if these white folks don't settle up soon, the USA, we all gonna wake up in Judgment Day.